Hey everybody, since we're talking about The Little Mermaid, I've got an exclusive interview with Ariel here. Princess Ariel, I guess I should say, huh? Hello! Oh, are you older? Is what? Is that what you said? Hello! I'm here, this is Ethan, the you host You look of... good, my son. I am not your son. Okay. <laughs> I wanted to ask you Do about... Do you want something to eat? No, 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 I'm fine. I just wanted to ask you a few questions about uh, how you became a real woman. You, you, you're not a mermaid anymore. You fell in love with Prince Eric. And how's he doing? And have you heard from Ursula? <laughs> Hello? Ariel, it's... Oh, my God. All right, this was a bad idea. Um, is there anybody else here for, uh, with you, or do you live by yourself? No, I talked to this flounder. This is, is this the flounder from the movie? What movie? The Little Mermaid. The Little Mermaid. Oh, I love that film. Wait a minute. I thought you were Ariel, the mermaid from The Little Mermaid. Oh, heavens no. My name is Darlene. You're Darlene? Yes. So why are we talking to each other? Who are you? Oh, are you not my son? No, I'm not your son. <laughs> okay. It's quite chilly outside. You better bring a jacket. <laughs> Bad science. Did the movie get it right? Bad science. Or will we have to fight? Hi everybody, welcome to Bad Science. I'm your host, Ethan Edinburgh, and this is the show where we break down the science of a movie with a comedian and a scientist. Today we're talking about The Little Mermaid, 1989's classic animated Disney film, and I have two wonderful guests. First, joining me is a writer, actor, and my actual real-life cousin, Anat Eschel. Hello. How's it going, Anati? Pretty good. You know, another day in my house. <laughs> Just switching it up, huh? Yeah, totally. Life is, you know, really interesting right now. Yeah, that's definitely true. We have good stories for people that uh, aren't alive yet, I guess. Oh, yeah. They're going to love to hear about this. Yeah. And <laughs> and so much so that you were telling me that you thought maybe you'll change careers as far as the acting is concerned, maybe because the inevitable scene where somebody's coughing in your face and you just want to like avoid that, I guess. That's definitely part of it. I mean, I, I had a, you know, identity crisis before this, but you know, this is a whole nother level of wondering what you should do with your life when you're home all day and you have time to think about that. <laughs> yeah. It's so fun. I feel like everybody's going through a similar thing. I'll, I'll ask our next guest if she is, but I, I, <laughs> I don't know. I feel like everybody that I talk to has some sort of identity crisis or another. For sure. I guess when you just stare at a wall for a long time, it really makes you think, who am I? Yeah. It's nice that we're all going through this at the same time because I've had identity crisis in the past and I felt really alone in them. Right. But now if I tell someone I'm having an identity crisis, they're just like, yeah, me too. And I'm like, cool. <laughs> We're all in this together. Yeah, of course. Duh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Well, joining Anat and I is a senior research technician at the Monterey Bay Aquarium Research Institute. It's Shannon Johnson. Hello. Hi, Shannon. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you guys? Besides, you know. <laughs> besides uh, the greatest tragedy that we've come to know, I'm doing great. Yeah, pretty good besides yeah, that. Good, good, good. <laughs> I thought we could have an awesome drinking contest at this point. I might win. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I'll let you win. Uh, that's easy. I have visited the Monterey Bay Aquarium. I did so last year. And I just have to throw in a shout out for that place because it was way beyond my expectations. I had such an amazing time there. Oh, good. I'm so glad. Yeah, it's a pretty incredible aquarium. We actually don't work in the aquarium. We're in Moss Landing. They don't let us, you know, touch the animals so much. I'm, we're kind of, um, I'm a geneticist, so I'm kind of like the matron of death. Oh, wow. <laughs> but, um, Whoa. <laughs> well, 
you know, an animal that dies quickly has really better DNA than one that um, languishes. So Can I redo your intro? Because I feel like it's much more exciting to say, what was it? The matron of death? Yeah. <laughs> Even better, I do statistics. And so I need to kill a lot of things. Not one, but many. How do you kill them? What does that mean? Um, well, right now I'm working on, I've always worked on invertebrates. And so really most people don't care how many invertebrates you're killing unless it's like a lobster or something because they want to eat it. And so uh, I work on like things like clams and snails and tinafores. And uh, most tinafores, you just look at them weird and they die. Um, and then the clams and the snails, <laughs> you pull a little tissue off and, and, they, uh, and put it in some ethanol or freeze it and you're good. Wow. Okay. So I was reading a little bit. You work in a zooplankton biodiversity lab. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So um, most of the people in my lab um, study the evolution of bioluminescence, which is really, really cool and sparkly and beautiful and super interesting. And I study um, how different animals are connected around the world. And so I started out my career working on the bottom on animals that live at hydrothermal vents and hydrocarbon seeps and trying to understand. Um, actually, now that we have this pandemic, I finally have an easy way to explain people what I do. So you have you guys seen those amazing models of how the virus has moved around the globe and evolved? Yes, unfortunately, I've yeah. seen that a lot. Well, so that's what I do with animals in the ocean. <laughs> and so I'm just trying to understand their, their movement patterns using their evolution. Whoa. Cool. Does that have to do with the bioluminescent waves? I was, I was literally about to go tonight. To, to see that over in Manhattan Beach. I went last week and it was amazing. Yeah, so one of my colleagues figured out that almost 70% of the animals in the midwater of the ocean are able to bioluminesce. Either they do it themselves or um, they use bacteria to do it. And like, um, I don't really know what the phytoplankton are doing, but yeah, it's there's an amazing proportion of animals in the ocean that are able to bioluminesce, which is super cool. And we barely know how they're doing it or what they're doing with it. So it's a fun thing to study. Crazy. Did you say 70%? Seven zero? Yeah. Yeah. Seven zero. A huge proportion. And we barely know about it. That's insane. Isn't that cool? I would have been shocked at 7%. So that's like mind blowing. <laughs> that's really crazy. Um, okay, but let's let's get into the movie and then we will uh, nosedive back into all things science. So first of all, I hadn't seen this movie in a while and I, I wasn't dreading it, but I was feeling like, you know, it was a long day and uh, I have to watch The Little Mermaid. So, okay, you know, here we go. And I just got into it so fast and just immediately <laughs> loved it. And <laughs> I guess I just remembered it wrong or something because it's so great. Um, I wanted uh, I wanted to get your thoughts on it, though. Uh, Anati, you want to go first? Yeah, I mean, when it started, I definitely was feeling the same thing. Um, I was dreading watching it, but I also got into it very quickly. It did make me think a lot about animals in the ocean and like whether they could be friends with each other and what kind of relationships different species can have with each other. And also, like, could mermaids possibly exist? Is that a thing? <laughs> Great question. It was very um, an emotional story. It really gets you in there so fast. It's true. Um, <laughs> Shannon, what was your... I watched it with my little boy and um, I had to drag him to do it. <laughs> really? I was like, come on, Liz, we got to watch The Little Mermaid. We're going to do this thing. It'll be great. It'll be so fun. You'll love it. And he's like, nope, it's going to suck. <laughs> and then we watched it and uh, asked him later, I was like, what do you think? Was it good? And he's like, 
no, not good. <laughs> Completely dead. <Ouch. laughs> Harsh <laughs> review. Okay. Tough critic. Wow. Um, and I also hadn't seen it in forever. But um, yeah, I mean, scientifically, most animals in the ocean are either trying to eat each other or not be eaten. So <laughs> they're not mm. so much friends. But um, <laughs> and like I there's so many I have so even distant family members who have asked me if we've ever seen because I get to do deep sea biology. Right. I've gone down in the Alvin and I have um which is the the manned submersible that goes down to the very bottom of the ocean, thousands and thousands of meters Whoa. down. And most of our work is conducted with remotely operated vehicles, which are giant, like SUV-sized robots that go down to like 4,000 meters depth. So Whoa. one of the few people in the world who have gotten to sit around and watch for 12 hours a day the bottom of the ocean, and so far, no mermaids. Okay, good to know. <laughs> Have you ever seen anything that was like you couldn't identify it and you had no idea what it was? Oh, every time we go to sea, we find new things literally every single time we go to sea. I've gotten to describe lots of different species and we almost find something new all the time. In fact, there's often times and we bring wow. all kinds of different experts out with us. Like we don't just hang out with people who work on tinafores or worms or whatever. We bring like the whole gamut of experts who do all different kinds of things and often we cannot even figure out what phylum an animal belongs to like Whoa. with the world's experts on the boat so yeah it's like we barely barely scratched the surface of the ocean yeah we don't know anything about what's going on down there <laughs> very we true we know what's going on up here <laughs> well there could be mermaid <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. i agree with that i've there's totally i would not be surprised if there are mermaids uh living all the way down there maybe they're just really good at hiding yeah for sure i would want to hide from us oh yeah Same. actually that's a good point. well i mean i didn't even know narwhals were really a thing until i was reading my kid a book i thought they made those up and then i read the book <laughs> <laughs> oh, real oh, okay the unicorn dolphin thing is real okay so. Yeah, there's there's a few things that I saw at the aquarium, actually. Um, and then I saw in this movie, like the moray eels, I think they're called the one with like the evil uh, flatsam and jetsam, you know, the two oh, yeah. uh, henchmen for Ursula. Yeah, that is like burned into my brain from the aquarium. That animal is so scary. Oh, wow. <laughs> they're not that scary. So <laughs> scary. No, <laughs> that is stuff of nightmares. I'm telling you. Were they accurately depicted in the movie? I've never seen them in real life. Don't. Yeah, they looked pretty good. Actually, I felt like scientifically looking at the animals that they drew. I mean, the little Sebastian crab guy was kind of like, is he a hermit crab? Is he a crab? Is he a shrimp? Not quite sure. But hmm. I think like artistically they did pretty. I mean, and then the little flounder guy is kind of a weird name because flounders are actually flatfish, right? Oh, <laughs> oh. So that was... He was definitely like a little tropical guy, but you know, whatever, splitting hairs. <laughs> okay, so that didn't it didn't bother you too much that the fish had a name of a different fish. Well, it made me twitch a little, but you know. <laughs> yeah. What are you gonna do? Itchy, so little... I wanted to a mention that if somebody does see a mermaid, don't just assume that you know they're nice and kind like the Little Mermaid, because in folklore mermaids are often associated with misfortune and death and luring sailors off uh you know to kill them so the sirens yeah yeah i just wanted to throw that out there like that that might kill you this movie 
could end up killing people or already has. Probably has, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the blood is on your hands, Disney. <laughs> and speaking of Disney, I wanted to mention also that, I mean, I'm a music freak and the songs in this movie are like unbelievable. I love the music. And there was a huge drought in award nominations for Disney. They had like some 20 or 30 year drought before The Little Mermaid. And then The Little Mermaid got two Oscar wins. It won Best Original Song and Best Original Score. And then that would be repeated for the next four Disney films in a row. Can you name those films? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) They came out after The Little Mermaid? Yeah, exactly. Little Mermaid came out in 89. And then the next four movies all got those two Oscars. Original Song and Original Score. The Lion King. The Lion King is one of them. Yes, 94. Oh, God. The only thing I can think of is Frozen. Frozen was way afterwards. (laughs) (laughs) These are all, this is all like 95 and before. I was in college. (laughs) You got this, Shannon. I believe in you. I out for Disney movies for myself in that time period because I didn't have a kid yet and I was in college. Could could Beauty Don't and the Google Beast this, be I'm one not, of these? I'm not Googling, I swear. Beauty and the Beast is one of them. Yes, that yes. was the next one in 91. You got two left. Okay, so there's two more. Pocahontas? Pocahontas, yes. Also what? correct, 95. Oh, my God. Yep, okay. you're missing one, one from more. 92. Um. Oh, that's the year I was born. So it's clearly... <laughs> Can you give me a hint? It's got to be one of the best Disney movies, I, I think. They they recently redid it. I did not watch the remake. Aladdin? Aladdin, yes. Wow, four out of four. <laughs> four out of four, Anati. Wow, that's really fucking good. That's like sad that I know that and could do that. <laughs> no, it's not sad. <laughs> They're all great. And all the music was so great in all those movies. Yeah, those are the best music ones. Did you guys have a favorite song in this one? It was like, it was between two for me it was tough to choose under the sea for me definitely yeah i think it's okay i'm both under the sea yeah well i guess you're also biased you live half your life under the sea (laughs) that's not really fair um so i thought going into it it was under the sea a thousand percent but then i had totally forgotten about kiss the girl and i love that song Oh, yeah, that's a good good song, song too. Because the girl is so good. And it's so, like, funny, too. Those, like, frogs that are on the oar while they're rowing. I love that. (laughs) I had a friend that would sing that song whenever people were crushing on each other in, like, middle school. (laughs) That's a good friend. (laughs) It was really funny. It works sometimes. He he was a good wingman. Um, Okay, so I have, like, random questions that I wrote down while I was watching, as I usually do. Some of these, of course, are are very stupid, but that's how my brain works. Um... (laughs) At the beginning of the movie, we see dolphins uh, hanging out with like seagulls and they're like swimming in front of the ship. And that's kind of a common thing that we see in movies and in life, right? Is like dolphins that swim alongside ships. So I was just curious if you knew why why that happens. Is that just fun for them? Well, they're, they're using the energy from their ship. The ship's actually pushing them along. It's called bow riding. It's super cool. Uh-huh. Bow riding. Yeah, and the best thing is like, um, when we've worked in the Gulf of California at night, um, we'll transit at night usually and to the next spot wherever we're going to work. And there's lots of bioluminescence in the Gulf of California and the dolphins will swim in the dark and light up the ocean. And so you can see like these beautiful sparkly outlines of dolphins bow riding. It's pretty cool. So dolphins are also bioluminescent? No, no. The, um, the water around them, the critters in the water light up. When the dolphins swim oh, through the water. Got you. Okay, you were about to really freak me out. <laughs> I was gonna say, how have we not seen a glow in the dark dolphin movie? <laughs> that would be pretty awesome. I might like dolphins 
even more. Yeah. Um, okay. Then in that first scene, we have um, <laughs> Grimsby, who uh, I don't Which know if that's like Grimsby? a real name. Grimsby is like, I guess, sort of like a father figure to Prince Eric. He's like the skinny older oh, guy. Oh, yes, yes. They call him Grim who, way, sometimes. Yeah, he calls him Grim. His name is Grimsby. And he, at one point, and I wrote this down as a quote, he goes, Grimsby, you old beanpole. <laughs> I, I had just never heard that before. I didn't know what that like was. Skinny person, right? Like a beanpole? Like a tall, skinny oh, person? okay. That makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Okay, fair enough. I didn't know <laughs> what kind of insult it was or if I didn't, I didn't get it. But anyways, the, he gets seasick right off the bat in this movie. He's like, his face is green. He's like vomiting overboard. Yeah. And I just wanted to ask if that's like, how common is it on your adventures does that like pass over time or if you are prone to being seasick is that's just how it's going to be for your life um well so you do get used to it and almost everybody does have the propensity to get seasick um and so i can have a very strict regimen that i follow so i don't get seasick i take um prescription drugs and don't drink coffee in the morning before and you don't have like a big greasy breakfast you have to eat something healthy like high protein but yeah Pretty much we all get seasick. Even I've even been out to sea with like the most seasoned sailors in bad enough days, they feel bad. Wow. Wow. Yeah, it sucks. That's enough right there that I am not interested in work on the ocean. <laughs> I, I hate when my when my stomach hurts, I can't stand it. I also can't not have coffee. So I yeah. don't think I could go on the ocean. <laughs> What's the problem with coffee and then going on the ocean? Why don't those mix? Well, it kind of acidifies your stomach and you just don't want any extra acid sloshing around down in there. I think this is what mm. this is our these are the things that have worked for me. And so mm. that's Shannon's fair. theory. Well, yeah, it yeah. does like kickstart your whole inner system. So that makes sense. Yeah, you just have to be nice to your stomach and then hopefully your stomach will be nice back to you. <laughs> but there's some amazing things <laughs> out there, too, that. Like we were offshore off the coast of Oregon um, and there were 40 knot winds. There were 28 foot seas with an eight second period. So that it was like walls of water that were coming at us. And oh, no, it was completely nasty. Like we weren't allowed on deck and we don't have a very big ship. <laughs> and so and I felt fine. Like I had enough ginger ale and, and ginger actually works beautifully. Mm. Oh, so, yeah, I feel like ginger is one of those, you know, every time I read about healing yourself of whatever ginger is like the first thing to come up and like <laughs> nobody eats ginger for anything it's very rare i guess i put it right. in my tea well you're a genius on it <laughs> yeah. yeah it's so good for you most people are very stupid <laughs> yeah <every. laughs> i'm not looking down on them i'm one of those people i rarely eat ginger and anytime i've been to the doctor they're like you know what you should do eat more ginger they tell you that yeah it will fix everything yeah apparently it's like anti-inflammatory it's yeah, it is. like king of yeah so i just need to do that more i'll tell you i'll tell you how to make ginger tea it's really easy you just cut it up and then you boil it in the water and then you drink that okay cut this out no one's gonna tell me how to make ginger tea okay i get it <laughs> <laughs> um i wanted to, so wait i i'm also like i'm not i love coffee so if you're do you drink coffee on a regular basis and then you don't when you go out to sea and if so Aren't you irritable and tired? Oh, yeah. We're all grumpy. And we're all like high on drugs. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so, yeah. 
it's like we, we hear because we record everything when we're in the bottom right and or when we're working as soon as the rov goes in the water we record everything that the scientists say <laughs> and every time i hear what we sound like it's like oh gosh i'm sorry i'm sorry (laughs) (laughs) i gotta get some of those recordings yeah it's all recorded forever that's hilarious but yeah we're grumpy and tired and we get up really early in the morning because we work it's a 12-hour day just when the rov's in the water and then when it comes up then we get to start dissecting all the animals and preserving everything so it's a long long day and then we do that again for like seven days straight wow man yeah that's got to be rough how many animals do you collect when you're down there um well it depends on what we're working on if we're working on the bottom stuff they're tough so we can like scoop them up and dump them in a drawer and then um, pick at them later um but if we're working on the jellies or the tinafores um we only have 12 samplers that we can collect they're really delicate so we basically have these tubes where the top and the bottom open and then they fly the entire they it'll be like these little uh like one inch sized beautiful little sparkly balls and they'll fly the entire rov around it and then close the lid and the bottom and so we get very few samples then I mean, wow. I think there is also a chance, though, that you're just, you know, drugged up and tired and you're not actually collecting or discovering anything. It's true. <laughs> we get them back and like, yeah. oh, wait, no, I have three of those in my drawer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We collected a goldfish and some sand, actually. Took us a month. <laughs> mermaid, and we totally <laughs> what a weirdo. <laughs> yeah, whoops. All right, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. The break is over. Here we go, back to the show about science. Okay, so I do have more science questions, but there were a couple moments in this film where logically, as an adult, and because I was taking notes, I was just like, what? Why <laughs> Why is this happening? So I wanted to ask you guys if you felt the same thing or if I'm just being like analytical and crazy. So first of all, one of the main like plot points here or like issues, I guess, that Ariel has to deal with is that she doesn't have her voice. And I want to get to that deal she made with Ursula. But before that, <laughs> she signed, and pretty quickly and easily, she signed this contract and she wrote her own name. Yeah, legally binding. Yeah, legally binding, by the way, under the sea. Doesn't matter. Right. That, a contract is a contract. <laughs> so she writes her name like no problem. And then she's with Eric for three days and can't use her voice. Why not be writing notes all the time? I don't think she knows how to write. But she wrote her name. Yeah, but signing your name is different than like writing communication. Like, I don't think a mermaid would need to be able to write. I was thinking about this too. <laughs> like, why would oh, a mermaid? Okay. Why would a mermaid know how to read and write if they're always like under the sea singing? They have contracts. Yeah, but she didn't read it clearly because she signed it right away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't. Maybe they have mermaid lawyers, and hers wasn't present. Yeah, that seems likely. But I mean, she could have at least written her name for Eric. He didn't know her name, uh, you know, until the kiss the girl scene. I mean, she could have wrote it in the sand. That's true. If she knew how to sign her name, she should have also known how to write her name and she should have been able to write her name. Yeah, that's all I'm saying. Um, but <laughs> but let's get to the actual deal because this, you know, it's just one of those things that I had to write off to like, well, that's just how the movie goes or, you know, it's just one of these, that's how Cinderella's shoe works or whatever the hell. But like, if you're Ursula... Why not just steal Ariel and make her, you know, your slave or steal her voice? Or why do the deal at all? Well, we wouldn't have a movie. (laughs) Right. I was just curious if there was like some real reason, but I couldn't find it. 
I was curious if octopus are like super evil geniuses. <laughs> they are super smart, right? And also there was some discrepancy I saw online that people were saying like, well, she's kind of a squid. Yeah, she's a squid. So what what did you think about that, Shannon? Oh, I thought she was an octopus. Okay. But I was kind of feeling Ursula. Because you know what? I feel like Ursula maybe is misunderstood. Like That's how I felt. Right? She Maybe she's like, I think she might just be the middle-aged lady. And maybe she had an opinion. And then all of a sudden she's demonized. And then she didn't smile enough or she smiled too much or her... Her pantsuit wasn't right or whatever. Yeah. So then she kind of got a little crazy and tried to like, you know, turn everybody into little wormies. But <laughs> yeah, I don't know, Ariel. The whole taking the young, beautiful girl's voice away and she had to win this guy over in three days with her big glassy eyes. I'm like, come on. <laughs> come on, Disney. I mean, it's 1989, right? Like, yeah. you don't have to be that crazy over the top sexist, but you know. <laughs> They were, so apparently. <laughs> there was also, I, I read, I think it was like deleted scenes or something, but I read the little history here because I didn't really understand the backstory of Ursula and Triton. So apparently they are siblings. They had the same father, which I thought was interesting because Whoa. they seem to be completely different species. So I don't know how that works. Right. But then... <laughs> They were also given equal share of the sea plus a magical item. So Triton gets the trident, which is like right on the money with his name there. And then <laughs> Ursula gets this magical Nautilus shell. And I think that although it's capable of doing these magical things, that's kind of the crappier part of the deal. Because once the shell is just like dropped on the boat, it smashes into a million pieces. Right. I feel like that trident is really durable yeah the yeah. trident can do anything hmm. yeah i feel like ursula is just the misunderstood middle-aged lady who had an opinion yeah i felt that way too i felt like she had been wronged in the past and i didn't know why <laughs> apparently she got like really greedy and started using her powers to try to take over more or something so I, I mean they didn't talk about it so maybe you guys are right <laughs> has anybody read the the grimm's the Little Mermaid, the old one? No. I read it a really long time ago. I should have reread it for this, but it just popped into my head now. It's I remember it being terrifying, and oh, I haven't yeah. read it in many years. Yeah, I didn't read it either, but I read like a little synopsis or whatever, and they were saying that it's like way darker and that it basically is like mermaids are bad and kill people, and they were going to make it in the early 40s, Disney, and because I guess World War II was going on, they decided... Couldn't do it's it. not the right time. Yeah, I remember it being very scary. Yeah. One more point on uh, Ursula I wrote down here, which is that I didn't understand why she had to uh, to kind of blow her stack and make this huge ocean tornado that ultimately leads to a boat killing her. Because <laughs> she could have just, you know, kind of easily killed them with that big trident laser, I thought. Right? Yeah. I don't know. She is very theatrical. Very theatrical, yeah. Drama, <laughs> drama queen. Um, I wrote, this is another silly question. I wrote, how strong are fish? And I wrote that because Flounder <laughs> tells Ariel, like, I have a surprise for you. And then he brings her to that, like, collection room she has, where apparently he brought that huge statue. So... I was like, that's surprising <laughs> because that he's a real small, small fish. Uh, yeah. And then later on, he's like dragging Ariel attached to a barrel and a rope to a moving ship. <laughs> so They definitely stretched the abilities of, <laughs> yeah, 
not possible. <laughs> and also, he's like a little fish, and all these things are supposedly living in the bottom of the ocean, which is not that far away. Maybe they found a nice little shallow shelf, and like that little guy would die really quickly, especially if he was going up and down <laughs> at that depth. And his little air sacs would, you know, have you guys seen it when people catch fish and their eyes pop out because, and they're like, their stomachs come out of their bellies because they have these little air spaces so that they can control their buoyancy. Whoa. And when they you bring them up too fast, they kind of the air expands and it like makes their poor little bodies blow up. Jesus. Oh, so that sounds painful. Yeah, they look really horrible when they when they do come up. <laughs> so all that stuff is completely not gonna work. I didn't even think so, about that. Like I was thinking that there were mm, species maybe in the wrong spot because they do mention like the bottom of the ocean. But then they're kind of like just swimming near the surface. So I was confused about that. But I did not contemplate that moving between the two would explode a fish. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, most of the stuff that they were, that they had, you know, are, you know, the little tropical guy, little tropical flounder. He's a shallow guy. He lives in coral reefs. <laughs> and, oh. <laughs> you know, he's like all brightly colored and pretty. Most of the fish in like the real deep sea are really, really dark. They're hiding, right? So is that where the moray eel lives? Um, moray eel are shallow tropical things too. They kind of are, and they live in like um, rock crevices and stuff. But there are we have these. Um, have you guys ever heard of grenadier or rat tails? No, no. They look kind of like the, um, and you can actually buy grenadier in the store and eat it, but it's mostly water. And they're these really cool deep fish, and they have these big, big eyes and. Um, they're one of the fewer large, large fish that we see in the deep sea. Um, and they love the ROV. They will come and swim up and give, do a little photo bomb all the time. We'll be like focused in on like a wow. pack of worms or something. And then we get a big fish go come photo bomb us. It's pretty cool. <laughs> do most animals in the sea like have their own spot of the ocean that they stay in? There was one scene where Flounder was like, sharks are here or whatever, and they were upset that the sharks were coming. Yeah, so a lot of things do move around. There's like, you know, like sharks have these amazing migrations and um, whales, of course. For And then a lot of things just drift with the currents. Most of the zooplankton we work on gets to drift with the currents. But as far as like species-wise, there's a lot of subdivision as far as different species go. So we can see different species that live in California or along the Pacific coast of North America that then live in like Hawaii, for example, even if they're on the very bottom of the ocean, the um, environment is very similar. It's far enough that they're different species. Hmm. Cool. This is a random question, I guess, but do you eat fish? Oh yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> in fact, some of the best ichthyologists I know are fishermen. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I mean, I be mindful about what I eat. I always use the Seafood Watch app from the Monterey Bay Aquarium. Right. <laughs> oh. Yes, I got that app after the aquarium. Yeah, and they have a really cool program where they there's an app there. You can, if you go to the aquarium, you can pick up little Seafood Watch cards, but the app's cool because it's always getting updated. And they have it for all the different regions. They have it for sushi, if you really like sushi or whatever. So, you know, we care about the ocean, care about the environment. So, if you want to be like, should I eat that Chilean sea bass? No, I should not. <laughs> yeah, get yourself the Gotta Seafood the Watch app and eat seafood appropriately. Exactly. <laughs> you can, it can be done. You can just be mindful about it. There was a scene 
where there was a French chef cooking and Sebastian, you know, kind of uh, disrupts him and makes him destroy the entire kitchen. Well, Sebastian's probably delicious, right? Oh, yeah. No, there's no doubt about that. We all want to eat that Trinidadian uh, crap. Uh, But yeah, that scene I just thought was like, I don't know, like trying to promote veganism or something because he was really it was brutal right well yeah that's true that's true i know when we'll when we anthropomorph i cannot say that word when we turn little animals (laughs) into humans (laughs) and yeah they demonize the poor chef too i mean come on chefs are important (laughs) he's just trying to make dinner i love chefs I like his song at the beginning before Sebastian comes in when he's just like, Les Poissons, Les Poissons, I love Les Poissons. <laughs> I forgot all about that song. It was hilarious. Great song. So they got they got him sprinkled throughout this whole movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I wanted to also give a shout out to um, Friendship. I thought Flounder really dropped the ball on being a good friend. And um, <laughs> just a reminder to everybody, like when your good friend is at their lowest point, and very sad, and their father has just destroyed all the things that they care about, don't leave them by themselves, because then evil creatures will come and offer them stuff, and they'll take it because they're very vulnerable. True. Flounder and Sebastian, as soon as that crap went down with her dad, they both just dipped. (laughs) They did drop the ball a little bit. (laughs) Huge. They're the only friends in the world that she has, and she's clearly like distraught, and they don't even say anything. They just go, "I'm out." I think. I think they tried. I think they tried, and then she yelled at them to leave her alone. Oh, okay. And then they were like, "Okay, we're out of here." Okay, well then that's which you know, it's nice that they respected her wishes, but also she was in a state, and maybe they could have asked a couple more questions. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So speaking of that room, that like collection room, she has like artifacts from the surface. So I kind of, even though I know it's going to be a terrible answer, more than likely, wanted an update on our ocean trash Mm. ah yeah so we stopped doing that right the ocean is clear it's perfect now it's fine fine but okay no um (laughs) great thank you guys so much for joining me today yeah we have an immense amount of plastic in our ocean and it's remarkable so you know you think that the work i get to do we go pretty far offshore and um we're down in thousands and thousands of meters of water and i've even been off the coast of like easter island and chile right like way fewer people down there and really far offshore and we see trash all the time we do pick some of it up when we can we have multi-million dollar operations and we do our we're we're like the most expensive beach cleanup that exists (laughs) but we do try to (laughs) and but it's remarkable how much stuff we see and in fact a couple of my colleagues have written a manuscript um, because we video everything and we, you can, you can tag it when you see trash on the video. And so they compiled, um, a database of all the trash that we see. And it's remarkable how much junk is out there and floating around. And so it's like, I can't ever walk on a beach and walk past a piece of trash without picking it up. Cause I'm like, Oh, I know where that's going. <laughs> yeah. That is so depressing. And, and that's just the big stuff that we see. The the other stuff are the microplastics, and that's working its way through our food chain. And we're just starting to understand how that's affecting us. And, you know, we're actually, you know, I do eat fish, and the fish are eating small things. The small things are mistaking plastic for food, like plankton. Right. 
And so they're eating it. And all plastic is, is it's made out of oil, right? And so we're basically eating oil, which is carcinogenic. Ugh. So Jesus. we're making ourselves quite sick. Wouldn't that motivate you not to eat fish or not to eat... Um... Yeah, anything that could potentially make you digest oil? Yeah, you would think, right? <laughs> yes, I would. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm still eating it. <laughs> Is it because it's just like in a, in a very small amount and you're like not concerned or it's because you just love it and you want quality of life and, um, you know, live it up YOLO? Yeah, pretty much that. <laughs> much that yeah cool i totally get that yolo y'all <laughs> um big time yolo coral reefs um there's some coral reef stuff in this movie and typically whenever that comes up on the pod it's like also like the trash just uh awful terrible news but is there any you know positive updates on these coral reefs or are we just um continuously killing them no we're pretty much continuously killing them right now um so what's really interesting what's happening shit <laughs> oh i'm sure there's like something like on facebook or something which you know it's true because um i saw something where people are like making artificial reefs so that the corals can grow on them but what we're doing to the ocean is hurting the corals much faster than they can recover because not only are our oceans getting warmer, they're getting more acidic because of all the carbon dioxide going into the ocean. The ocean takes up a huge amount of the carbon dioxide that we're producing. And Whoa. because of that, it's more acidic. Yikes. Which, if you're made out of calcium carbonate, acid obviously dissolves calcium carbonate. And so that's dissolving the corals. And as the ocean becomes warmer and as the environment becomes warmer, we have these hot, hot, hotter days, it bleaches the corals. They release their symbiotic algae and they bleach out and then they're no longer eating and no longer alive. So yeah, the corals, there's not quite a, a rainbow story yet for the corals. Maybe if, yeah. <laughs> I read somewhere, I don't know if this is true at all, but I read that coral can heal themselves like remarkably quickly. We're just not allowing the environment for them to do that. Is that true? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that's true um, because they can recolonize the skeletons and reacquire their symbionts. And so, like, right, like if we just stopped everything we were doing, like right now, right, <laughs> for a very long time. And I mean, I have no idea. I don't work on corals and I don't know how long it would take them to recover. But yeah, like, I mean, like in all things like nature it, right now, we are seeing birds coming back to the neighborhoods and like I surf and I live right on the beach. Right. All of our beaches were closed for um, a week over um, Easter week because they were trying to keep all of San Jose not in Santa Cruz. So it was amazing. We had all these sea otters coming right up to our beaches. We had baby elephant seals landing on our beaches, which that never happens because we're wow. sitting there. So, and that was just a week of closures. So I'm, I'm sure that if we could get people out of the equation, then, you know, things would recover very quickly. Okay, I pitched this to another scientist and got shut down, but I'm going to keep pitching it <laughs> and hope that you approve. But shouldn't we take this sign as like tradition or something? Like, shouldn't we from now on just quarantine for a month out of the year or like two days out of the week quarantine because it's good for the environment? Wouldn't that be helpful? I think it would take more than that. Like, oh, it's that's great. what the other one said. <laughs> Not enough. Yeah, I think like what we've been on lockdown for a couple months now or years um, and things are <laughs> slowly starting to peek out of the out of the shadows. So I think it's going to take 
Like, if we could just quarantine for like a few decades. Oh my God. Shannon, that's not going to happen. <laughs> no one's going to do that, okay? I'm here trying to put the pieces together, okay? Be part of the solution and join me on my venture. From now on, Wednesdays are done. <laughs> Everybody tell the commute on Wednesday. Yeah. <laughs> Would something be better than nothing or it's just like if we don't do a lot, it's no good? No, absolutely. And so that's always the thing. So I work with these amazing climate scientists and they just stopped giving talks because they just make us cry all the time. So, oh. but that's so sad. And that being said, he and, and, and one of the guys especially is he always like gives these horrible doom and gloom messages just like I'm doing to you guys. And then everybody's like, oh, we're screwed. We can't do anything. And then he like, will come up like, at the end, like, oh, I know that you could do this if we just do this and this. But yeah, of course, every little thing everybody does helps. You know, it's the collective, right? Like if we all try to do a little bit, you know, it's not like everybody has to dramatically change their lives. Everybody has to never leave their houses again and then everything's going to be okay. But, you know, obviously we're not going anywhere, hopefully. There are ways and things we can do, like stop using things that are made out of plastic or, you know, mm-hmm. right. and stop letting it get in the ocean and really genuinely recycling it. Well, I think we, as long as we have really good leadership like we have now, we're going to be fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we the, have nothing to worry about. <laughs> as long as the lawmakers are making the right laws. It's fine, fine. Yeah, we're taken care of. Yeah. Also... I should have guessed that you surf, um, but that's really cool. And now I feel like we got to do some sort of surf movie. Have you seen Surf Ninjas? I have not. We'll have to watch that. Maybe your kid will enjoy because (laughs) it's about three dudes who fight hand-to-hand combat, but they also surf. And then like one of them has this like Sega Game Gear the entire time. So it's kind of like he's... (laughs) playing a video game throughout the movie. I don't know. It's a really crazy movie from the early 90s, I think. Anyways, maybe we'll, we'll do that. That sounds really fun. <laughs> yeah, that movie's insane. Um, okay, is there something like, obviously my theory nobody's going to do because nobody cares what I say, but are there little things besides like, you know, not using plastic that you would recommend people do to try and save the world, save the oceans? Yeah, I mean, pick up trash off the beach, ride your bike places instead of drive your car, you know, and vote. I mean, the voting, I mean, we can see how much, how important that really is, right? Vote for people yeah. who yeah. will take steps to make things better, not worse. Yeah, right? that would be nice. If only. <laughs> Yeah, that might be cool. Um, okay, Anati, where can people find you? Uh, what are you? What are you not acting in soon? Tell tell people what's going um, on. <laughs> so, I mean, I have an Instagram and a Twitter. I'm I'm at Schmanat. Um, S H M A N A T. So you can find me not acting over there. Where did that name come from? Because it's funny. I've seen that a million times, obviously, but I've never said it out loud. Right. Well, it's funny. I initially did not want to create an Instagram or a Twitter. Um, And then in college, one of my friends convinced me to do it. And that was her nickname for me. It was Shmanat. Um, So she was the one that convinced me to do it. And then I was like, oh, God, I have to pick a username. What will it be? And she was like, just put Schmanat. And I liked it. So I've kept it. Yeah. No, it it's is really fun. good. Yeah. Um, okay, great. So yeah, follow on that. And, uh, and Shannon, should people 
I don't know, follow you, visit the aquarium? Yeah, go to the aquarium. I have a Twitter handle. It's Punk Rock Snails because I named a snail after Joe Strummer from The Clash. <laughs> yeah. Heck yeah. <laughs> awesome. And yeah. Sweet. Well, yeah, if you guys have not been, uh, Anati, if you haven't been, you seriously cannot recommend enough. amazing. You can drive up from down here. Obviously, I wouldn't go right now, but, you know, right. maybe in like... 45 years um you can check out <laughs> the monterey bay aquarium it's really great i i was absolutely infatuated with the sea otter exhibit i immediately went to the gift shop and bought a sea otter shirt um so uh so yeah anyway can't they really can't, had an effect on you. yeah like seriously big time i think that might be my favorite animal now just from sitting there watching them for 15 minutes <laughs> you know better than staring at the wall right now you can actually they have amazing critter cramp critter cams on their website yes. and yes. oh i love the live cams it's awesome yeah. i have that on randomly they have yeah live <laughs> live footage of sea otters hanging out penguins hanging out it's the best that's a very good call oh i will be watching that they do one of bears catching salmon usually mm. and i watch that a lot Ooh, <laughs> I don't know who does it. Okay, weird that what you like is a vicious killing footage, but all right. <laughs> you might be a biologist. Maybe. <laughs> I should go back to school. <laughs> I mean, right now is the time to switch. Yeah, I mean, that could work for me. Okay, well, Dr. Eschel, thank you for joining me. Uh, Shannon, thank you for joining me so much. And uh, yeah, I'll see you guys next time. Hopefully we do Surf Ninjas and uh, really appreciate you being on the show. Thank you. Thanks, you guys. Bye. 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 Bad Science is hosted and produced by me, Ethan Edinburgh. Our associate producer is Emily Feld. Our engineer is Jeremy Schmidt. Bad Science is edited by Lucas Bollinger, and our social media is managed by Blue Whale Media. Shout out to EJ and Kate. And the executive prince producer is Brett Kushner. Who's like a prince? Prince Kushner. Oh, follow us on Instagram at BadSciencePod. If there's a movie you'd like us to discuss on the podcast, feel free to email at BadScienceAtSeeker.com. That's BadScienceAtSeeker.com. And please leave us an iTunes review. Give us five stars. I sound like an Uber driver. But it does help. It makes sure people know about the podcast, which we really appreciate. Thanks for listening. Bye.